if I can dream. July 11, 1954, began as a hot, lazy Sunday, just another sticky summer day in North Memphis, and I was a scrawny 12-year-old kid living at the little brick duplex my father rented on Breedlove Street, looking for some way to fight off the boredom of one more stretch of sweltering afternoon. My father worked long shifts at the Firestone factory, and that Sunday, his day off, he was sleeping in. My closest friend, the kid next door, Wayne Martin, was off somewhere on an outing with his family. It looked like I was going to be on my own for the day, so I decided to kill some time by wandering over to Guthrie Park. The park was maybe a half mile from my daddy's place, down Chelsea Avenue, an open field of scraggly grass and dusty patches laid out in front of an elementary school and a community center. Close to the street was a kiddie wading pool, and a little farther back was a playground, some basketball hoops, and a horseshoe pitch, where I'd learned to enjoy the satisfying clang of a shoe hitting the iron post. As I arrived at the park, the heat of the day was broken by just a hint of breeze drifting over from the Mississippi River. There were a few moms watching their splashing toddlers at the wading pool, and a bunch of older kids out on the grass— I figured I'd walk around to the community center to see if anything half-interesting was going on inside. The sky was a hazy summer gray, and I guess I was lost in a bit of a haze of my own. It took me a moment to realize that my name was being called out from across the park. Jerry! Hey, Jerry! Come here! It was one of the older kids out on the grass. I recognized him as a local boy named Red West one of the toughest guys I knew of in North Memphis. Red had been a ferocious all-Memphis football player at Humes High School, and he and his family lived over in a low-income housing project that had the very fitting name Hurt Village. Just knowing a guy was from Hurt gave him a kind of battlefield credibility around North Memphis. Kids in my neighborhood whispered stories about the rough gangs that lurked around Hurt, and how you'd be lucky to get out of there alive if you were ever foolish enough to walk through the projects alone at night. I wasn't sure how Red knew my name, but I figured he might know my older brother, Billy Ray, who'd been a pretty strong football player at the private high school he had attended across town. Maybe Red had heard that I was turning out to be a decent wide receiver on the team from my Catholic grade school, Holy Names. Football was the one thing I felt good at. My grades were lousy, I didn't have a lot of friends, but on the Holy Names football field, I was having my first taste of personal success. It didn't really matter how Red knew me, though. I wasn't going to ignore the call. I started over to the group of older boys, trying to throw just a touch of Brando from the wild one into my walk. Hi, Red, I said when I got to them, immediately hating the fact that my voice sounded so little, so young. So not Brando. I didn't know the other guys, and I didn't pay too much attention to them. I assumed they were either from Hurd or Humes. Red looked me over hard for a moment. Jerry, we're a player short of a six-man game here. You want to play ball? Of all the things I thought Red might ask me, I hadn't seen this one coming. A chance to play football with Red West and some older kids? Of course I was in. Sure, Red, I'll play. All right, then, he growled. We got a game, full blocking, two-hand touch. Let's mark out a field. Red and a couple of the guys walked off to figure out the out-of-bounds and goal lines. 
The other two players started warming up by throwing long passes to each other. I kept my eyes on Red, who wasn't a real big guy, but a commanding figure anyway. I had a feeling that with him, even a touch football game was going to be played hard and rough. With the field set, the guys regrouped. Our ball, said Red. We'll take Jerry. The rest of you all get back on some defense. Three of the guys broke away and took positions down the field. I followed Red and another boy, and we leaned together in a tight huddle behind our starting line of scrimmage. Red handed the ball to the other boy. What's the play, man? Red asked him. I looked to this guy who Red had just made our quarterback, really looked at him for the first time, and felt a jolt. It was him. There wasn't any one thing about this other guy that hit you right away. He was wearing plain work pants and a white T-shirt. He had blotches of acne on his face and neck. He was kind of on the skinny side. He certainly didn't look any tougher than Red West. But he had a cool I'd never seen before in person. His hair was greased and swept up and back into some very impressive ducktails, the kind of look I wanted as soon as I could get away from the disapproving nuns at Holy Names. You had to put some work into hair like that. And you had to know that it marked you as a probable juvenile delinquent in the eyes of grown-up North Memphis. There was something about the way this guy stood and leaned into the huddle. Nonchalant, but no nonsense. Something a little loose, but cocky, too. It looked like he was pulling off the Brando thing without even trying. It had to be him. A couple of nights before, I'd heard a brand new song on the radio, so new the record wasn't even out yet, and had been amazed to learn that the singer was a boy from Humes High in North Memphis. This had seemed astonishing to me. How could a guy from my neighborhood have a song on the radio? And a great song at that, a song that really stood out among all the hot R&B records I'd heard on the show that night. For the last two days, I'd been wondering... What guy in North Memphis could make a record like that and get it on the radio? This guy across from me in the huddle looked like he could. All right, now, uh, what's your name, Jerry? Asked the quarterback. Yeah. You can catch a football? Yeah. You know how to run a slant? Sure. He held his hand out, palm up, and sketched out a play. You run down the sidelines about 10 yards, run it easy, not full speed. Red, you go up the middle and button hook. Jerry, when you see Red make his turn, you hit the gas man and run your slant. If you get past whoever's covering you, the ball's coming to you. Yes, sir. The quarterback's serious expression shifted a bit. He looked at me dead on. He had ice blue eyes. And when he looked straight at you, you felt it. A little twist of half-smile showed up on his face. Sir? Hey, Red, I like this kid's attitude said the quarterback. He's all right, said Red, giving me a clap on the back that just about knocked the breath out of me. Red didn't introduce us. I didn't hear his name spoken by any of the other guys, but I didn't have to hear it. I knew who he was. This was the boy from Humes High named Elvis Presley. My mother, Dorothy Schilling, died when I was a little over a year old, she contracted rheumatic fever shortly after I was born and spent most of a year in bed, wasting away. The disease was close to a death sentence back then, but it wasn't always quick. From what I was told later by my grandmother and my aunts, 
My mother held me as much as she could for as long as she could. But eventually her skin was so sensitive that even the weight of the sheets was painful. And I can only imagine the heartache she must have felt not being able to hold her new baby to her. My mother's dying request to her mother, my mamma Gilkey, was to secure a promise that my brother and I would be loved and taken care of when she was gone. Mamma delivered wonderfully on that sad promise. I grew up with a fair amount of confusion about how exactly I fit into my family, but I never doubted for a moment that my mamma loved me with all of her heart. From bits of conversations, little hushed pieces of grown-up talk I'd occasionally catch as a kid, I got the impression that my mom had been happy, pretty, and the kind of person who took care of everybody else first. The peacemaker and pep-talker who made everybody around her feel special. She was one of seven children, and my father was one of four children, and growing up I heard plenty of grumbling and complaining from and about each side of the family but I never heard anybody say anything mean about my mother. And I don't think that was just because she was gone. I think it was because she was considered a truly special person by everyone who knew her. My father, Bill, grew up in Memphis, and from what I know of my dad's early years, he didn't have much of a childhood at all. He was the oldest son, and when his father abandoned the family, he had to drop out of middle school and start working to help put food on the table. He started at a grocery store and, as soon as he could drive, moved on to a better-paying job as a truck driver. Before he got married, he had landed his job over at the Firestone factory. I think my dad may have spotted my mother on a dance floor at some local Memphis event. Both of them loved to dance, and both of them got into...